what would you say if I said that I could bring them back? I guess I'd say I never thought of that. Well, all right, hold that. You might want to stand back because one small John is coming intact. St. John forward, spitting out some more words, fully intact. Jacked, ready to rap and attack. Small John on your lawn, living like a gnome. Hit you with my lyrics like a bullet to your dome. The night when he comes up here, he's either going to kill or he's going to suck. But there's no in-between for Mr. John Forward. Welcome to St. John Forward Radio. A little uh, slow on the draw there, but uh, anyway, I'm your host, John Forward. Just need to make a slight adjustment to my camera. I'm broadcasting live from the local 107.3 FM studios here at the University of New Brunswick in St. John. Uh, all of you prefer video, I'm also streaming live on uh, Facebook and YouTube. John Forward Comedy, just do a search for that. Or you can go to johnforward.com. Um, it's uh, Labor Day. I don't know what that means other than uh, mandated day off. Um, I don't know. Something uh, something work-related. I'm not really sure. Maybe I could look that up on a break. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's, it's nice to have these little, uh, you know, I had uh, a week of vacation in July. I had a week in August. I got no weeks in September, but you know these little uh, four-day week, three-day weekends are uh, are a nice little uh, added bonus. So get to have a few days off, but you know, it, depending on your line of work, it's not really. I mean, I'm still doing the same total amount of work. It just really means doing a bunch extra on the Friday before and the Tuesday after to kind of catch up for the, the lack of a day. So, I mean, it's just a little bit less uh, messing around on the internet time on Tuesday than there would have been on the uh, the Monday to make up for the extra day's worth. So, same with vacation, though. I don't know. unless you Unless you have a position where you just kind of show up and, like, do a task... If you're not doing that task, it's not like you have to do twice as many tasks the day before every time that you want a day off with certain positions. But uh, with mine, it is. Um, so yeah, I didn't uh, didn't do a whole lot this weekend. It was just a nice uh, nice break. I'm at a point where I'm just uh, it's a it's a lovely vacation just to be able to sit at home and do nothing. Um, Played a whole lot of video games this weekend. Uh, my dear wife May, she was uh, she was visiting her mom for the weekend, so I had the run of the house. So of course that means lots of uh, pot and video games. That's I watched Hard Target starring Jean Claude Van Damme, which uh, is a is a pretty great movie. I I thought that I had seen it before, but I did not remember anything about it, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think on Saturday morning I started listening to uh I listened to a podcast called How Did This Get Made? It's uh it's a comedy podcast and they kind of break down kind of bad movies and such and uh Hard Target came up and I started listening to the episode thinking I've seen this before. I mean like cer- certain 
certain movies on that podcast. Uh, I used to listen to it more religiously, but you know, I've got I've got quite the roster of uh, of podcasts in my in my uh, in my queue. So I try to be a little bit more pickier about what um, what I'm going to listen to. So for how did this get made? I think I used to listen to every episode, no matter what. But uh, now I'm a little bit pickier. It depends on what the movie is. Um, if it's something I've never heard of, I'll give it like 15 minutes. And if I'm not uh, if I'm not gripped, um, then it's uh, that's a skip. Um, some, sometimes, you know, part of, part of the value of listening to like a movie podcast is to have actually seen the movie. Um, so there's probably a few of these that I skipped that uh i might have enjoyed the podcast more if uh if i'd actually watched the movie but um you know so- sometimes when a movie comes up that i that i've already seen that uh that i think would be interesting to talk about but i don't necessarily want to take the hour and a half two hours or more to uh to sit down and rewatch it before listening to it but uh, i got a few minutes into uh into the hard target podcast and was like this movie sounds amazing, and I don't remember any of this, so uh, I decided to uh, to to watch that. I tried to I tried to find a legitimate way to uh, to watch it. It's not streaming anywhere. I was able to find it, um, you know, through the the deep dark corners of the. It's very hard to find movies on the internet if you haven't heard. Um, I could have uh, I um, Cineplex lets you rent movies. And we bought whatever the food combo was a long time ago that included, like, it used to be the the combo that you buy at the movie theater would give you, like, a big glut of scene points, which would effectively be enough to buy a free ticket. Now they've started doing a weird thing where you spend a crazy amount on a combo of, uh, of food and they send you a, f- a code for a free rental on the internet, which... I don't know. Anything that I could have used that for, I could find it for free easily. So it's it's not very enticing. But uh, Hard Target, I did I did a Google search for like Hard Target streaming Canada, and it's in the you can buy it, you can rent it on iTunes and on the Google Play Store. And I saw that it was in the Cineplex Store. And I'm like, oh, this is a good opportunity to use my code, but I could not find it. I uh, I searched through my emails. Uh, I know it was there. I th- I'm pretty sure I even forwarded it to my dear wife, May, so that she could watch something. Um, I don't think she used it, but I could not find the email in my bottomless pit of Gmails. Do a search for Cineplex, Cineplex store, Cineplex code, redeem code. I just, it's in there somewhere, but I uh, I was unsuccessful, so... I went to the deep recesses of the uh, the internet and I torrented it. I apologize. Um, I'm sorry to the uh, the family of Jean Claude Van Damme and everyone involved. Um, but anyway, solid movie. Uh, had uh, hung out with, uh, with with some friends on Saturday night. Um, played a drinking game called Boxhead. I don't know if you're familiar. I've never been a fan of drinking games. Um, just I don't know. I I don't mind being there when they're happening and just observing. I don't like participating because they are made for drunk 20-year-olds, I feel like. And I don't need a game to encourage me 
to alter the pace of my drinking. I don't. I don't know. I don't like it. I f- I find with a drinking game, I'm either not drinking as fast as I want to, or drinking more than I want to. And this one involves like it's it's one of the ones where you like draw a card and a different thing happens depending on on which card that you draw. And uh, the four aces in the deck, I forget what the rule is called, but every if you as you draw an ace, you pour a little slosh of your drink into the cup in the middle, and then whoever is the fourth one has to drink that. I'm like, I'm 40 years old. I don't need to. I really don't need to drink a mix of four different kinds of sloshes of booze that people have poured into a cup. Luckily, I didn't get that. But anyway. I was I was peer pressured into uh, into playing and I I had fun but I don't know as a whole I don't like the concept of drinking games it's it's dumb why can't we just have fun and drink at our own pace that's what I always say um, but uh, anyway uh, the big topic for today's show that we'll get to after the break uh, it's Labor Day so uh, let's uh, we're going to talk about inflation and why. Uh, the dollars that you make in exchange for your labor is not worth as much as it used to be. So, um, spoiler alert, I'm not just going to blame corporate greed. Um, but uh, anyway, we'll get to that after the break. But first, uh, I, don't, I haven't played a lot of uh, country on this show, but uh, speaking of how podcasts I listen to kind of influence uh, my my media intake. I listen to, uh, it's called the 500 Podcast with Josh Adam Myers. Uh, each episode they're going through, there was a top 500 albums list that Rolling Stones put out, uh, Rolling Stone, the magazine put out in, uh, in 2012. And so each week starting at 500 and counting down, they have a guest on, and they, they talk about a particular album starting at 500 and working their way up. I don't listen to every episode. Um, but much like the uh, the How Did This Get Made one, I will, uh, I'll, I'll listen to it for albums that I already know and ones that I'm curious about. The ones that I have no interest in, I, I skip those. Um, so uh, this, week, this week's episode was about uh, the album Coat of Many Colors by Dolly Parton who uh, I, I know Dolly Parton's singles. I know like 9 to 5 and Jolene and all that stuff. Um, I, I, I can't think of a Dolly Parton song that I've heard that I didn't like. Um, but I've never really taken a deep dive. She seems like a cool lady. Um, haven't, uh, I haven't seen the movie 9 to 5. I haven't seen Rhinestone starring Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton. Uh, I'd never heard this album, Coat of Many Colors, and I don't think this, uh, this, I'm going to play the title track, Coat of Many Colors, which I think is, is the biggest hit of the album. I've never heard of it. This might be a common thing that everybody's heard. Maybe it was a staple of radio. Um, I was a little bit worried that this, uh, this goes against the, uh, local FM mandate about playing hits. But I believe a hit is no longer a hit when it's more than 50 years old, and this one came out in 1971. So this is a 51-year-old song, and uh, I thought it was a, it was a nice little ditty. So we're going to play uh, Code of Many Colors, and then we'll be back to uh, talk inflation. It's very exciting. 
coming up on St. John Forward Radio. Back through the years I go wandering once again Back to the seasons of my youth I recall a box of rags that someone gave us And how my mama put the rags to use There were rags of many colors But every piece was small And I didn't have a coat And it was away down in the fall Mama sewed the rags together So in every piece we loved She made my coat of many colors That I was so proud of As she sewed she told a story From the Bible she had read About a coat of many colors Joseph wore and then she said Perhaps this coat will bring you Good luck and happiness And I just couldn't wait to wear it And Mama blessed it with a kiss My coat of many colors That my Mama made for me Made only from rags But I wore it so proudly Although we had no money I was rich as I could be In my coat of many colors My mama made for me So with patches on my britches And holes in both my shoes In my coat of many colors I hurried off to school Just to find the others laughing And making fun of me my coat of many colors my mama made for me and oh I couldn't understand it for I felt I was rich and I told them all the love my mama sewed in every stitch and I told them all the story mama told me why she sewed and how my coat of many colors was worth more than all their clothes they didn't understand it and I tried to make them see That one is only poor, only if they choose to be Now I know we had no money, but I was rich as I could be In my coat of many colors, my mama made for me Made just for me And we're back here on St. John Forward Radio, a little Dolly Parton coming at you, coat of many colors. Um, so, tonight's topic on St. John Forward Radio, which was hastily thrown together a couple hours ago. I've had all weekend to prepare for this. Um, it's a pretty important topic. Probably could have used some more time to prep uh i'm gonna i'm gonna hand off a chunk of it to uh to my man milton friedman in a bit um but uh inflation most people see it as as prices going up um in reality it's mostly just a reflection of each dollar being worth less which in effect means that the prices go up but you to to hear uh politicians and 
generally blue-pilled people talk. This is uh, this is just evil, corporate greed run amok. Every few years, all these big evil corporations they just decide to increase their prices because they can. Why didn't they increase them three years ago, five years ago? I don't know. When uh, when prices go down, does that mean that it's corporate uh, charity? No, they don't get that credit. But anyway, it's uh, it's it's kind of a, a nebulous thing. And uh, over the uh, over the pandemic, I I did a little bit of uh, studying of economics. I didn't go to take class. I read some books. Um, a big big one, literally big one. It was many many. I, I mean, it's not a measure of how smart I am, how many pages are in a book that I read, but Human Action by Ludwig von Mises is a bit of a monster. It took me several months to uh, to get through. I tried to read a little bit uh, every day, and it's, it's pretty interesting uh, to me, I think. Um, I also, uh, if you're looking for something else that's a little bit more approachable, um, Economics in One Lesson. Who wrote that? Was that Henry Hazlitt? I think maybe. Anyway, look for the title, Economics in One. I think it's Henry Hazlitt. That one's pretty good. Um, and basically, the one lesson of economics is in the first couple of pages, in the first paragraph, and then the rest of it is just elaboration. So that's worth checking out. I think you can find that for free online. Um, so... Um, Basically, right now, um, after doing a quick Google search, I wanted to see, like, what's inflation at right now in Canada? And uh, Google says it's uh, it's 8.1%. Um, that's, and generally, uh, the target for inflation, like inflation and prices going up, is built right into the cake for our whole economic system in uh, in Canada, um, in the U.S. I'm not sure where else in the world, but basically, this the whole the whole thing comes from uh, Keynesian economics um, and uh, versus Austrian economics is the uh, is the is the branch of economics that I did most of uh, my independent studying of, um, but Keynesian economics is basically the idea that the economy is doing well when people are spending, and this target two percent is allegedly supposed to encourage people to spend, which has all these lovely awesome consequences and nothing unintended of course um so really the real split if you if i wanted to sum it up keynesian economics is like centralized um manipulation of of markets and economies for good intentions that's the that's the democracy version of it um, whereas uh, Austrian economics is more is more kind of a hands off, laissez faire capitalist system, which oh we don't want to say the key, the c word here because that's got its own baggage. Um, so anyway, the the idea um, is they want there to be inflation, and they say that this is a good thing for the uh, the common folks. It is not even a two percent inflation is not is not good. Um, but, uh, whereas right now, so anyway, 
according to Google, it says that in Canada right now we're at uh, we're at eight point one percent inflation. Um, I don't know if that's compared to this time last year or what how exactly that's measured. Um, this is something I I wish I had spent more time on. Um, when uh, when Maxime Bernier was uh, was in here on the show, I did ask him about uh, economics and inflation. He kind of uh, he kind of talked about how the way that they measure it, so that eight point one percent is not really not really accurate. The way that they figure out what inflation is, they basically have, and I don't have the full list and details. This is Googleable, I'm sure, but um, basically. They have a basket of goods, so there's there's a few different items that they think are like good metrics to get kind of the pulse of what's going on with the economy, and they add up the the price today for these handful of things uh, versus the price last month or last year or ten years ago. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but they're they're selecting what goes in this, and I mean. They 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 kind of juke the numbers a little bit. So Maxime Bernier, and again, we didn't get into the details of how exactly it is measured versus how it should be measured. Um, but everybody knows their prices have gone up. I talked about it last week on the show. Um, for the first time in in many years, um, my credit card balance is higher than my my bank account balance. I'm slowly chipping away at it. Um, part of it is, you know, being uh, being a little spendy this summer. Not any more than I ever had been in the past. Um, but uh, my my car has required some repairs, so that's a bit of extra expense that wouldn't have been there last year. And uh, also going on another uh, fairly expensive trip with my dear wife, May, coming up next month. So slowly uh, chipping away at the costs on that. So, But uh, the price of, of everything has gone up. Mostly like groceries, gas for sure. Gas is the most obvious one that everybody, everybody sees. And um, I don't know what the inflation rate is, but 8.1%. I, it doesn't really seem to cut it. I don't know if anybody else has a different experience. Now, most people didn't get an 8.1% raise at their job this year. Um, if you got no raise or less than that, you've basically taken a pay cut. So that's that's going to cut into your bottom line. It's going to you're you're making a certain amount of money, but that amount of money is not buying you as much stuff as it would have. And, uh, I actually, uh, I received a raise this year that was, uh, that was more than 8.1%. I'm not going to say how much, um, I don't know if that's, I think, uh, I think my letter was confidential. So lips are zipped, are zipped, uh, on that, but you know, in theory, if my raise was ahead of inflation, and again, this isn't my, my raise that I got this year is not really taking into account whatever inflation happened over the previous four years that I did not get a raise at all. Um, so even if that's at the target of 2% a year, so my first year at work, it would have gone up 2%, and 2%, and 2%, 2%, 2%, compounding each time. So if you look at my total raise over 
five years, it's probably not caught up with uh, with inflation. But I'm I'm you know I'm I'm not in any risk of losing my house at least at the time being. I'm not I'm not looking for sympathy. But you know things are things are tighter than they used to be. Um, even with a raise higher than the official uh, inflation rate, I've I've cut back on my spending. Um, not as much as I probably could have, but there's been several instances over the last month where I considered going out to eat somewhere and deciding, nope, trying to cut back and just more just kind of frivolous spending that I would have done. Like, I've never been big on budgeting. Basically, if I've got a bunch of money in my bank account, if I see something that I want, then I will buy it. If I've got no money in my bank account... I will try to keep it to the essentials as much as possible. So that's that's where we're at now. But this is this is the first time, uh, including when I when I left my previous job for uh, for Irving to work at the at the Y for like fourteen dollars an hour for the summer, making the same as uh, some of my coworkers who had just graduated high school. It's more than minimum wage. It's more than some people get, but. Uh, I uh, generally kept up with uh, some, some of the stuff I've had to uh, to cut off. I, I used to give uh, a few hundred bucks a month extra on top of what comes out of my paycheck into my RSP, trying to save up for my retirement. It's becoming less and less likely that all of that stuff is still going to be in place by the time I get there, but I'm chipping away at it. Um, I used to, uh, to give, uh, to charity every month. I had it automatically come out of my, my bank account. I've had to, I've had to, to slow that down or well, I've, I've cut it off for now. Um, and you know, just, uh, just other stuff. So this level of inflation is not stimulating the economy in any way. If I'm, if I've got less money to save for my future, that's less money that I'm going to have to spend as an old man. It's less money for these uh, for these charities that I normally would give to. Um, I've uh, I've cut back on uh, you know a couple of uh, Patreons and stuff like that for podcasts. Some of them I'm kind of grandfathered in on price, and I don't want to cut it off and then have to pay more in the future. So I'm you know making economic decisions, taking human action, um, but. Uh, yeah, all, all that stuff. Mostly just because even though I've got technically more dollars in my pocket now, I think my paycheck every every two weeks since before my raise, I think it's an extra like two hundred bucks take home. So an extra hundred dollars a week. I don't have that. That should be money that's being pumped into the economy, buying stuff for myself and supporting other people and kind of keeping keeping the wheels turning. But that's it's unwise to, to do that now. So, um, th- so for some, some context, the, uh, the opposite of inflation is deflation, which all the same people that say, uh, you know, inf- infl- all the Keynesian types, um, which, uh, there's, there's a clip on the, of the Lex Friedman podcast. It's like 40 minutes long. It's, I forget the name of the guy, but search for Lex Friedman, Austrian Keynesian economics. There's like a 40 minute clip. I forget the guy's name. Um, I, instead of going to Amazon and buying a book, 
As soon as it strikes my fancy, I just added it to my wish list. There's been a few books over the last month that normally I would just buy it now, and it would sit on my shelf until I get to it. So that's going in the watch. That's going in the uh, in the uh, the wish list. I'm gonna have an easier time coming up with a list of uh, gifts for my dad to give me for Christmas this year, at least, because I'm not just instinctively buying everything that I want. Um, so deflation is the opposite. That's when prices go down, which the the prevailing economic opinion is that this is bad and it's 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 really not. Deflation means prices going down. It's the opposite of what happens right now. That means that each of the dollars that you have can buy you more stuff. And that's that's good for everybody except for the people who currently have their kind of thumb on the scale. Um, with with the Keynesian kind of interventionists. It's it's funny that nobody nobody argues to not have a thumb on the scale. There, the whole justification for all of this kind of government intervention in the economy is the idea that if it's not for us, your benevolent rulers, then these big bad capitalist people will—they'll—they'll they'll rig the system against you to fill their own pockets. So we need to rig the system against those people, except for those are the people that run for office. And those are the people that support the campaigns of the people that run for office. So it's funny how if we've got built in, hey, this is the legitimate legal virtuous way to have your thumb on the scale. It's funny how it always seems to, to work out for the, uh, the bad guys. Uh, and then we still have dumb politicians like Jagmeet Singh tweeting every day about how Canadians are feeling the 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 effects of inflation while these terrible corporations are raking in the profits. And like that's oh, funny how how that works. Um, anyway, Keen- Austrian is no thumbs, no scales. Just if you want to buy something. I sell it at the price that you're willing to pay for it. And the more shady that interaction gets, the easier the more likely it is that competition comes in itself it kind of self-regulates. So deflation is good because you can make the same amount of money and you can buy more with it. So you can you can either as an individual, speaking as myself, if I was making the exact if if we had deflation if prices were going down about 2% every year, then I could either afford to buy more stuff with my existing wealth, or I could maybe make a decision like, hey, I don't need to work as stressful of a job. I can take something that's a little bit easier for a little bit less money, and I can still afford to to, to live the lifestyle that I want to live. That this kind the deflation is is it's kind of what everybody imagines a UBI would be only it actually is um a UBI actually leads to inflation we'll get to well not specifically that but it'll be clear why that's the case by the time we get to the end of this hopefully um but uh yeah so you can you can buy more with less um just hang on a second i've got a little uh graphic here so uh, 
what? I just hit something with my elbow. Um, we, we've got this kind of, this is in the United States. If you if you can't see the video, I've got a graph up of the, uh, the price changes in the United States between uh, 1998 and 2018. And you can see kind of the base level zero stuff is, you know, cars have generally cost about the same over that. I mean, things drastically would have changed in the last two years. I don't think anybody questions that. But like household furnishings, like a couch, at least according to this graph in 2018, costs about as much as it did in 1998. That seems, I haven't bought many couches in my day, but that seems correct. And apparel, your clothes. Um, the stuff that went down is largely unregulated stuff. Tele- wireless telephone services. This is a this is a graph for the U.S. I suspect that um, that telephone stuff would be on the other side of this graph for Canada. It's very very regulated. I've heard that Canada has kind of the most expensive phone plans in the world. Um, but computer software, the price has gone down. The price of toys has gone down. The price of televisions has gone down. Um, all, all of that stuff. Some of that is just from, from market innovations like television and electronics in general. It's just gotten cheaper to make and it's gotten more efficient. So for $500, you can get more TV than you could get for $500 in the 80s. Um, now the stuff that's gone up, this is a side note, it's separate from inflation, sort of, um, but stuff that the government has the deep hand in tends to, over time, get more expensive. So like hospital services, that's certainly expensive. Everybody's talking about in New Brunswick how we don't, we don't have, uh, there's not enough money in healthcare, even though if you look at a graph of healthcare spending, it's up, 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 when they talk about Drastic cuts to healthcare, it's when the up, 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 up slows down a little bit slightly, but still is increasing. So this kind of stuff gets of lower quality and more expensive over time. Uh, college tuition and free, free fees, this is directly related to how the government getting involved in student loans in the U.S. The student loan forgiveness certainly isn't helping this. If the government throws more money at it, then the universities can charge more and offer less. Uh, textbooks, childcare and nursery, medical care services, hourly earnings is largely on, has gone up about 50%. Housing, food and beverages. That's, that's kind of, it depends on where you're at, how, uh, what level of intervention is in there. But deflation is bad for the bad guys. It's bad for governments because if politicians want to create a new program and spend a bunch of money on it, they need to pay for it somehow. Um, so deflation is bad because, or well, we haven't gotten into it yet. Um, let's 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 come back to that. Bas- basically, if we had deflation and we didn't have an inflationary policy, politicians, if they wanted to pay for something, would need to either raise taxes or cut spending in somewhere else to shift money around. With this, they don't really have to do that. And actually, uh, I've got a quote here from another great economist, Thomas Sowell. Uh, he says, inflation is in effect a hidden tax. The money that people have saved is robbed of part of its purchasing power, which is quietly transferred to the government that issues new money. And 
Also, from the government perspective, if you have deflation, then that could lead, in the same way that inflation, the actual number of dollars per hour that you make may increase. With deflation, that may go down. But again, it works out because you're making less money, but each dollar is worth more. So, I mean, there's different levels of each, so the balance isn't 100% always there by default, but largely it, it would be. Um, so if you have lower wages though, less income, then that's less taxes that the government brings in. If, if something costs $85 now, instead of a hundred dollars, then that 15% HST is just that many fewer dollars that go into the, the leeches. And, um, so anyway, let's, uh, Let's let's jump into this clip. This is a fairly long thing, so let's uh, let's. Oh wait, we don't want full screen. We're wait. Hold on. All right. This so this is uh, this is a Milton Friedman clip from. Um, so anyway, this was a series that used to uh, to be on uh, like PBS, I think. And here's a clip, just him explaining. I'll sh- I'll be quiet now. The Sierra Nevadas in California, 10,000 feet above sea level. In the winter, temperatures drop to 40 below zero. In the summer, the place bakes in the thin mountain air. In this unlikely spot, the town of Bodie sprang up. In its day, Bodie was filled with prostitutes, drunkards, and gamblers. Part of the colorful history of the American West. A century ago, this was a town of 10,000 people. What brought them here? Gold. If this were real gold, people would be scrambling for it. A series of gold strikes throughout the West brought people from all over the world, all kinds of people. They came here for one purpose and one purpose only, to strike it rich quick. But in the process, they built towns, cities, in places where nobody would otherwise have dreamed of building a city. Gold built these cities, and when the gold was exhausted, the cities collapsed and became ghost towns. Many of the people who came here ended up the way they began, broken, unhappy. But a few struck it rich. For them, gold was real wealth. But was it for the world as a whole? People couldn't eat the gold. They couldn't wear the gold. They couldn't live in houses made of gold. Because there was more gold, they had to pay a little more gold to buy goods and services. The prices of things in terms of gold went up. At tremendous cost, at sacrifice of lives, people dug gold out of the bowels of the earth. What happened to that gold? Eventually, at long last, it was transported to distant places, only to be buried again under the ground. This time, in the vaults of banks throughout the world. 
There's hardly anything that hasn't been used for money. Rock salt in Ethiopia, brass rings in West Africa, cowrie shells in Uganda, even a toy cannon. Anything can be used as money. Crocodile money in Malaysia. Absurd, isn't it? That beleaguered minority of the population that still smokes may recognize this stuff as the raw material from which their cigarettes are made. But in the early days of the colonies, long before the United States was established, this was money. It was a common money of Virginia, Maryland, and the Carolinas. It was used for all sorts of things. The legislature voted that it could be used legally to pay taxes. It was used to buy food, clothing, and housing. Indeed, one of the most interesting sights was to see the husky young fellows at that time lug a hundred pounds of it down to the docks to pay the costs of the passage of the beauteous young ladies who had come over from England to be their brides. Now, you know how money is. There's a tendency for it to grow, for more and more of it to be produced, and that's what happened with this tobacco. As more tobacco was produced, there was more money. And as always, when there's more money, prices went up. Inflation. Indeed, at the very end of the process, prices were 40 times as high in terms of tobacco as they had been at the beginning of the process. And as always, when inflation occurs, people complained. And as always, the legislature tried to do something. And as always, to very little avail. They prohibited certain classes of people from growing tobacco. They tried to reduce the total amount of tobacco grown. They required people to destroy part of their tobacco. But it did no good. Finally, many people took it into their own hands and they went around destroying other people's tobacco fields. That was too much. And they passed a law making it a capital offense, punishable by death, to destroy somebody else's tobacco. Gresham's Law, one of the oldest laws in economics, was well illustrated. That law says that cheap money drives out dear money, and so it was with tobacco. Anybody who had a debt to pay, of course, tried to pay it in the worst quality of tobacco he had. He saved the good tobacco to sell overseas for hard money. The result was that bad money drove out good money. Finally, almost a century after they had started using tobacco as money, they established warehouses in which tobacco was deposited in barrels certified by an inspector according to his views as to its quality and quantity. And they issued warehouse certificates which people gave from one to another to pay for the bills that they accumulated. These pieces of green printed paper are today's counterparts of those tobacco certificates, except that they bear no relation to any commodity. Having these tools really helps me save time and work more efficiently when I am multitasking, specifically when I'm switching between writing brand emails. The fact is that most people enjoy the early stages of the inflationary process. Britain, in the swinging 60s, there was plenty of money around, business was brisk, jobs were plentiful, and prices had not yet taken off. Everybody seemed happy at first. But by the early 70s, as the good times rolled along, prices started to rise more and more rapidly. Soon, some of these people were going to lose their jobs. The party was coming to an end. 
The story is much the same in the United States, only the process started a little later. We've had one inflationary party after another, yet we still can't seem to avoid them. How come? Before every election, our representatives would like to make us think we're getting a tax break. And they're able to do it, while at the same time actually raising our taxes because of a bit of magic they have in their kit bag. That magic is inflation. They reduce the tax rates, but the taxes we have to pay go up because we are automatically shoved into higher brackets by the effect of inflation. A neat trick. Taxation without representation. The more I work, it seems like the more they take off me. Uh, I know if I work an extra day or two extra days, what they take in federal income tax alone is, is almost doubled because it apparently puts you in a higher income tax bracket and it takes more off you. Bob Crawford lives with his wife and three children in a suburb of Pittsburgh. They're a fairly average American family. Don't slam the door, Daphne. Okay. All right. What are you doing? Making your favorite dish. Okay. We went to the Crawfords' home after he'd spent a couple of days working out his federal and state income taxes for the year. For our benefit, he tried to estimate all the other taxes he had paid as well. In the end, though, he didn't discover much that will surprise anybody. Inflation is going up. Everything's getting more expensive. No matter what you do, you, as soon as you walk out of the house, everything's going up. Your gas bills keep going up. Electric bills, uh, your gasoline. Uh, you can name a thousand things that are going up. But just everything's going sky high. Your food. My wife goes to the, to the grocery store. We used to live on, say, $60 or $50 every two weeks just for our basic food. Now it's $80 or $90 every two weeks. Things are just, they're going out of sight as far as expense to live on. Like I say, it's getting tough. And, and, and the, it seems like every month it gets worse and worse. And I don't know where it's going to end. At the end of the day, I've spent nearly $6,000 of my earnings on taxes. That leaves me with a total of $12,000 to live on. That might seem like a lot of money, but five, six years ago, I was earning $12,000. How does taxation without representation really affect how much the Crawford family has left to spend after it's paid its income taxes? Well, in 1972, Bob Crawford earned $12,000. Some of that income was not subject to income tax. After paying income tax on the rest, he had this much left to spend. Six years later, he was earning $18,000 a year. By 1978, the amount free from tax was larger. But he was now in a higher tax bracket. So his taxes went up by a larger percentage than his income. However, those dollars weren't worth anything like as much. Even his wages, let alone his income after taxes, hadn't kept up with inflation. His buying power was lower than before. That is taxation without representation in practice. We had a number of you brothers that are sitting here today that were with us on that committee. And uh, I'd like to tell you one of the 
There are many traditional scapegoats blamed for inflation. How often have you heard inflation blamed on labor unions for pushing up wages? Workers, of course, don't agree. But, fellas, this is not true. This is subterfuge. This is a myth. Your wage rates are not creating inflation. And he's right. Higher wages are mostly a result of inflation rather than a cause of it. Economists in this country... Indeed, the impression that unions cause inflation arises partly because union wages are slow to react to inflation. And then there's pressure to catch up. On a day-to-day basis, trying to represent our own members. But that, in fact, is not the case. Uh, Not only can we not play catch-up, we can't even maintain a wage rate commensurate with the cost of living that's going up in this country. The reason we have inflation in the United States, or for that matter, anywhere in the world, is because these pieces of paper and the accompanying book entries, or their counterparts in other nations, are growing more rapidly than the quantity of goods and services produced. The truth is, Inflation is made in one place and one place only, here in Washington. This is the only place where there are presses like this that turn out these pieces of paper we call money. This is a place where the power resides to determine how rapidly the amount of money shall increase. happened to all that noise that's what would happen to inflation if we stopped letting the amount of money grow so rapidly this is not a new idea it's not a new cure it's not a new problem it's happened over and over again in history sometimes inflation has been cured this way on purpose sometimes it's happened by accident during the civil war the north late in the civil war overran the place in the south where the printing presses were setting up, where the pieces of paper were being turned out. Prior to that point, the South had had a very rapid inflation. If my memory serves me right, something like 4% a month. It took the Confederacy something over two weeks to find a new place where they could set up their printing presses and start them going again. During that two-week period, inflation came to a halt. After the two-week period, when the presses started running again, Inflation started up again. It's that clear, that straightforward. So, uh, anyway, that's uh, that's Milton Friedman. Friedman. Oh, I'm pleased on. to uh, once again. We don't need to hear Milton Friedman on Donahue. That's probably a good interview. But uh, ba- basically, his argument is, and what it all comes down in, into is. When the money supply is increased, that's what creates inflation. Um, so stuff like, you know, you've heard these these terrible corporations and nefarious people pulling all their money offshore. That should be, excuse me, that to like, you know, avoid taxes and all that stuff, whatever your opinion is on that. But that's lowering the money supply. That's creating a deflationary pressure 
that's more than canceled out by all the extra money that's uh, that's being made. Think of it used to be when there was like the when it was tied to tobacco, like he said there. I think the problem with tobacco is that it was kind of if you can, if you can just grow more money, it's not a very good system of money. Um, but even like the gold standard was better because a dollar was worth a certain amount of gold. Now we're not on any standard and basically a dollar is a share in the Canadian economy. So whatever our total wealth is as a country, how much we produce, all that stuff, a dollar is a certain, is a chunk of that. So if we make more dollars, then each one is worth less. It's like in the, uh, the Facebook movie, the social network, when, uh, when they have like a certain amount of shares and then they use that to push out the one guy, I forget the details of it, but basically they just created a whole bunch of extra shares. They didn't take any shares away from the guy that was getting screwed over, but each of his shares was worth less because they had expanded the total number of them. So that's, that's what happened. And we know we, we went through a pandemic, um, huge parts of the economy were shut down for, most places at least six months, some more than that. So that definitely has a hit on earnings. It has a hit on how much stuff that we actually produce, how much people were buying stuff. And they were just throwing money at everybody with the CERB and the with the wage subsidy and all that stuff. So the government was pulling in less money and they were spending more. How do you think we got there? Well, they created a bunch of extra money out of thin air, but uh, our friends at the Bank of Canada, which is the Canadian version of like the Federal Reserve, I noticed this tweet the other day. Let's bring this up. Um, oh my God, this computer is so slow. Uh, so yeah, the Bank of Canada, um, hashtag you asked us, if we printed cash to finance the federal government, we didn't. Look, finger pointing down. Keep reading to learn how we supported the economy from the shock of the pandemic. So they say the pandemic has been a crisis like no other. As a result, we took various measures like buying bonds to support and ensure a strong and stable economy. As if buying bonds with what exactly? We bought existing government bonds from banks on the open market. Why? This helped unblock frozen markets at the start of the pandemic. Let households, companies, and governments access funding when they really needed it. This lowered the cost of borrowing to help Canadians get through the pandemic. We did not print cash to pay for the bonds. We bought the bonds with settlement balances, a kind of central bank reserve, not with banknotes. What's the difference? Settlement balances don't permanently add to the money supply. Unlike cash, we remove those reserves from the system, and you can see that we've been doing just that. Anyway, read more about quantitative how quantitative easing works. I read through that article. There's not much of, of note there, but this... First off, I don't 100% understand how bonds work, but this just even like the this is a Ponzi scheme. 
we oh we didn't and and they're they're doing like a semantics argument where well we didn't necessarily print paper money they just increased the zeros on the computer and then they used that to buy bonds from the banks and they they say that you know these settlement balances is basically made up and the graph that they show shows back here back in this the orange line if you're seeing the video back before 2020 these settlement balances was basically at zero while the uh the banknotes in circulation in the early end it starts like just a shade below 100 and now it's gone up to 100 billion that's the actual physical dollars these settlement balances just went crazy up at the beginning of 2020 it peaked out looks like in the middle of 2020 to be just under 400 billion dollars and then it's you know they slowly deleted some zeros and now we're back to a modest i don't know it looks like just a shade under 200 billion dollars so i mean even their own logic there's still an extra $200 billion that's part of the shares of, uh, of you know, Canada's wealth. And that's what they used. And, by the way, when they buy these bonds, they use this made-up money to buy the bonds from the financial institutions who get to reap the rewards of the full amount of that money because the inflation hasn't kicked in yet. And then once all the rich people get all that fake money, then that gets distributed out to all of the the lowly people like you and I, which eventually makes our prices go up. And then when the government scales down these made-up numbers, we basically inherit the debt. So anyway, I I don't know how bonds work super well, but uh, inflation comes from expanding the money supply, and it sucks. And that's, it's, it's just bad news. So anyway, that's been the show. St. John Forward Radio every Monday night from, uh, from 9 till 10 p.m. Here on local 107.3 FM, streaming live on Facebook and YouTube, John Forward Comedy. I don't think I have any shows to plug this week, but No Jokes Bard is coming up next Thursday, September 15th at McGill's. Check that out, and then we'll be back to Saturdays in October and November. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Alex. Motherfucker, run, motherfucker, run. I'm running, motherfucker, run, you fucker. Open the mind. Open it up, open it up, open it up, open it up. Time to get crazy. Open it up, open it up, open the mind.